You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. is Tuesday, February 6th. This is The Christian Commute. I am your host, Seth Dunn. And hey, we're back on the regular schedule because <coughs> I actually came to work today. You are on the way with me to the soccer park. Soccer season has begun. My son's got a scrimmage. I told my wife to bring the good chair. And I'm going to watch the scrimmage, provided I get there on time. I have to stop and get my wife a Coke. It could cause me a delay. I have... Oops, come on now. I have a full show for you today. I have a question in the inbox about the language of Leviticus punishments in the book of Leviticus and ooh, I gotta hit the gas ah, I made it I made it I don't like to pull out in front of people where they have to hit their brakes so I just I gunned it and I made it uh, what was I talking about before I had to let all 109 horses in this Kia Soul run anybody want to google how much horsepower a 2000 and 13 Kia Soul has? Is this an 11 or a 13? You know what? Either way, it, it ain't much. Um, <coughs> today's show title is Pocket Jesus. Pocket Jesus. And as always, we have the Bible chapter review. We continue today in Matthew chapter 27. Verses 38 through 40. Matthew chapter 27, verses 38 through 40. So Jesus has been carried off. Well, I guess they, he wasn't carried off. They made him walk. He has been taken to be crucified. He's been stripped naked because they crucified people naked. The soldiers in charge of his crucifixion have gambled for his clothes, cast lots for his they cast lots yeah that's like shooting dice they've cast lots lots for his clothes and they've even offered him a drink with gall in it to dull the pain of being crucified which he has refused so Jesus is up on (coughs) the cross starting at verse 38 at that time two robbers were crucified with him One on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. So nowadays... At least where we live, when there's an execution, it's done with some degree of of dignity, class, if you will. People are allowed to watch the execution, notably victims of the family. 
But they just sit in a room quiet and watch the execution. It is not a long execution. A crucifixion takes, takes forever because you have to suffocate up there on the cross. Modern executions are more humane. You just die <coughs> right then. Like a lethal, lethal injection kills you or the electric chair kills you. I don't know if anybody does a firing squad anymore, but that's pretty fast. Hanging kills you pretty fast. But back in that day, they'd crucify you or execute you out in the open. And you'd be hanging up on the cross for a whole day, and people would walk by and publicly shame you. So the shaming was part of the punishment, not just the death, but the public shaming. By the way, that's how the stock worked. Even on this continent, people used to get in trouble and they'd be put in the stocks in the middle of town and everybody would walk by and make fun of them and shame them. So there Jesus is hanging on the cross. What company is with him? Two robbers. So there are the dregs of society with him. They're all hanging there naked to be abused by the passers-by, and the passers-by do that. They wag their head at him. I like to imagine them wagging their head like D'Lo Brown. They wag their head and say, you are going to destroy the temple in three days and rebuild it. Save yourself. And you remember what Jesus said, uh, <coughs> I'll tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. He was not talking about the literal temple, Herod's temple. He was talking about his body being crucified. And he's going to do it. you got to listen to how really ignorant the insults of these people are. But go ahead, save yourself. Well, he's going to. He's going to be resurrected in three days. And by the way, he could have done in one. Just saying. Because he's God. God the Father resurrects God the Son. Jesus is going to be raised from the dead. So they make fun of him and say, Oh, you're going to tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Which, by the way, like literally tearing down Herod's temple and rebuilding it in three days would have been something... I don't even know if Superman, who's not real, could have done it. That's quite the feat. It took years to build that temple. So they're saying, if you're so powerful, get yourself off the cross, which he didn't. And he also said, if you're the Son of God, get yourself off the cross. Here's the deal. And here's what they were missing. Jesus was on the cross because he was the Son of God. So when they say, if you're the Son of God, come down from that cross, there's no place for the Son of God to be but on the cross, <coughs> dying for his people, to pay for our sins. Jesus could have come down off that cross if he wanted to. And they don't get it, because what they would have done if they were in his place is take themselves off the cross. But Jesus... And all his humility and meekness took the punishment that we deserved on the cross precisely because he is who he is. Or because he was who he was. Because this happened in the past tense. It's really weird when we're talking about Jesus in these stories. We talk about past tense, but then you're like, well, he's still alive. So we don't we need to talk about the present tense. Jesus is alive today. Jesus died. And Jesus is still alive today because <coughs> he resurrected from the dead. Good time to remind ourselves of Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved.
And this is where it happened, right here. These people should have been confessing the Son of God. All right, let's move on to the question in the inbox. This question comes all the way from Arkansas. Oh, really? Can y'all hear the bass? I think this bass, this guy's bass system is worth more than his 1989 Camry. I'm just kidding. It's not a 1989. Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm, I'm just going to... I'm going to pull on to the freeway, get far away from Mr. Thumper back there who aggravated me with his horrible music. Reset myself, and then once I merge onto I-75 here, because I got through that Bible chapter review pretty quick, then I'm going to answer this question from Arkansas. Do you have a question about Christian theology and apologetics? If you do, you can dial 470-315-0875. Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance. Or you can write to Seth Dunn 88 at gmail.com Seth Dunn 88 at gmail.com Keep it short. Tell me where you're from. Short enough for me to memorize. And here's today's question all the way from Arkansas. It is from Rendell. By the way, Rendell is one of the question submitters I have met in real life. In person. I guess this is real life. I'm really alive driving down the road. But in person, in the flesh, I've met Jeff from northwest Georgia. We ate at Longhorn once. And I've met Coy because he's in my Sunday school class. He hadn't written in in a long time. And I don't think I've met anybody else in person who has written in. Has my boy Shane written in before? I think he has. And then I have uh, I have friends who say I'm going to write in, you, but you don't, Merrill. Uh, and uh, I've met Rendell when I went to Arkansas to perform the wedding ceremony of Reagan Hall, J.D. Hall's daughter. Rendell was in it. He lives in the area, and he came by and hung out with me for a few minutes. I wonder if Reagan still listens to this podcast to go to sleep. Because I'm going to tell you this. I, if I listen to it, it puts me to sleep. I wonder if uh, if, if John has ad- adopted to that, uh, adapted to that, that nighttime routine. You say, are you still listening to my podcast at night, Reagan, and, and now John? Okay. But this is from Rendell. Here's his question as I try and pass this Nissan Titan. Why well, I got all kind of people going slow. Slow Tacoma, slow Titan. Ah, the Tacoma was getting out of the way. In Leviticus, does the phrase cut off from his people imply death or exile? So if you go to the Levitical laws and some people break certain laws, the Bible will say, and let him be cut off from his people. And Rendell is asking, is that exile, or is that talking about execution? And in the immortal words of Forrest Gump, I think it's both. So if you just go and and do a word search of this, you'll find some verses pretty fast. And one of them relates to Sabbath breaking. 
And it talks about the Sabbath breakers being put to death, and it says, and they're cut off for their people. So context determines this. In theory, you could be cut off from your people by being banished from the camp, being put outside the camp. But a lot of times, and this is clear from the context of the verse, it does mean execution. There's a bunch of capital crimes under the Levitical law. And you have to understand the reason for the capital crimes. These crimes are so bad that they taint the people, that they taint the nation of Israel. You can't have these people around. That's why they have to be cut off from their people. That's why they have to be executed. Now, there's a lot... There are a lot of capital capital offenses. Homosexuality, Sabbath breaking, being unruly to parents. That's not talking about your average you know, kid throwing a tantrum. Adultery comes to mind. Sabbath breaking we already talked about. All of these 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 actions are incredibly detrimental to the health of the nation of Israel and the people have to be removed and it's it's done by death because where where are they going to go to be cast out to the Gentiles to live with the Gentiles Jews are supposed to go to the promised land and live in the promised land and listen if you're cast away from the people you're cast away from the temple and the sacrificial system so, if you, can't, if you can't have your sins atoned for, it's really a fate worse than death because you don't go to hell because you can't have your sins atoned for. But like I said, Rendell, a lot of times it's both because you can read in the text it says, if somebody does this, kill him. Let him be cut off for his people. Well, it just said kill him. That's what being cut off from the people means. Now, sometimes when people are unclean under the Levitical law, they have to go outside the camp, and when they're clean, they can come back in. But they're being, being cut off is because they've done something so egregious that they have to be executed. Let them be cut off from the people. And if it sounds harsh, it is. But there have to be stiff punishments for being unholy. Things that are so bad to your neighbor that you can't be around your neighbors anymore. And we we need to have a robust understanding of holiness. The holiness of God and the holiness of God's people who are set apart to God. And sometimes we forget that robust understanding of holiness. There's a lot of separation that's expected, that's focused on, advocated in the Old Covenant in Sinai. What are they supposed to do when they leave Egypt? They're supposed to go into the Promised Land. And what do they do? They kill everybody who's there because those are the wicked wicked Canaanites. Don't live with them. Don't mix with them. Get rid of them. Be separate. Be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. Don't live with them. Don't marry them. Get them out of the promised land. 
And then here's a bunch of things they do. Don't do the things they do. They, they boil young goats in the mother's milk. You don't do that. Don't wear clothing with two different kinds of fabric. That's mixing, and you're not supposed to mix. It is a big deal to be set apart and holy. And when someone defiles the nation with one of these capital crimes, they have to be cut off. And listen, there's nowhere else to go when you're cut off. Well, yeah, I can go live amongst the Gentiles. That's really nowhere to go at all. Because, like I said, you're cut off from the temple or from the tabernacle, depending on the time. All right, let's move on, speaking of holiness, to today's show topic, Pocket Jesus, or Jesus in my pocket. I'm reminded of the song when I say Jesus in my pocket, Plastic Jesus, I don't mind if it rains or freezes as long as I got my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. Comes in colors pink and pleasant, glows in the dark cause it's iridescent. Take it with you when you travel far. Going 90, I ain't scary cause I got the Virgin Mary reminding me that I won't go to hell. When I'm in the backseat grinning, he's up on the dashboard grinning. You ever heard that song, Plastic Jesus? Paul Newman sings it in uh, Cool Hand Luke, but there's other versions. And the song is about the trivialization of Jesus, because people put a little Jesus on their dashboard. It's there to protect them and approve of them, like using Jesus as a dashboard ornament. Okay. Yesterday I was perusing Facebook during some downtime, and I have not had a lot of downtime lately. And there someone had posted a picture of a little Jesus, not a figurine, but I guess a little, I don't know, maybe a little injection molded Jesus, like a little rubber Jesus. It's not like an action figure that moves its arms and legs. And it's not quite the plastic Jesus you'd put on your dashboard. But it was a little tiny Jesus sitting on the dashboard of a rental van. And it had got left there because the rental van had been rented for Merge Weekend. Now, I don't know if the, the Baptists have Merge Weekend where you're from. But where I'm from, they have, a, they have something called Merge Weekend where the kids spend the night at one of the local churches. They have a speaker come in. I guess they have some kind of small group study and activities. It's an overnight sort of day camp type of deal. And then they have a preacher come in and they do the, the kids worship or the youth worship where they turn the purple lights on and they sing songs and the kids jump up and down because that's what they think worship is, some concert. And now I need to remind you, let me put a pause on the show topic because I'm going by exit 312 in Calhoun. And whenever you pass exit 312 in Calhoun, you need to remember to go to whyrockbridge.com. Seeker-sensitive goat church with a lack of focus on holiness and plenty of life coaching, whyrockbridge.com. And here I pass the... Calhoun campus of Rockbridge Community Church. Don't forget to go to whyrockbridge.com 
If you're thinking of going to a seeker-sensitive goat church, speaking of holiness. All right, back to Plastic Jesus or Dashboard Jesus. And apparently, oh, oh, there's a car driving down the road with Palestinian flags all over it. And free Palestine. Driving through Georgia dispensational Trump country. It's a braver person than I am. Are you trying to get your tires slashed? <laughs> or accused of being a terrorist? All right, Because, you know, most people aren't going to do anything. But there's some rednecks around here. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, Plastic Jesus. I don't care if it rains or freezes. So apparently one of the churches, and this is sort of a church cooperation thing across town. I do not know which church. Which church bought two, uh, one of this church, and I don't know which one, bought 200 or so of these little Jesuses to give to the kids to keep them in their pocket for, for having a Jesus in your pocket. And the idea is, it's, it's like, remember the old what would Jesus do bracelets people used to wear? You're walking down the hallway at school and somebody's being mean to you and you're going to react and you're going to hit them maybe and you look at your wrist and says, what would Jesus do? Jesus would forgive him. Jesus would turn the other cheek. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Bracelets were all the rage when I was in high school. I never had one, but all the christian kids had a what would Jesus do bracelet. There was also a frog bracelet, fully rely on God. If, you, uh, if you're familiar with somewhat famous actress, Chloe, Gra- Chloe Grace Moretz, her homosexual brother used to wear a frog bracelet. And uh, her brother, who's not a homosexual, would re- wear a WWJD bracelet. Okay. They used to be Baptists before they were gay-affirming. <coughs> But the WWJD, the WWJD bracelet now, we're going to do one more. We're going to do one better. A little tiny Jesus figurine to put in your pocket. And I saw that thing. And I saw somebody said the church, the church gave him, I don't, I don't know which one. But probably some idiot youth minister. All right? Being an idiot is one of the qualifications for being a youth minister, by the way. All right, But some idiot youth minister. Remember Peyton Manning talking about our idiot kicker, Mike Vanderjacked? All right, our idiot youth minister, whoever did it, decided, I know what a great idea is to remind the kids of Jesus and to always keep Jesus with you, is get a little Jesus figurine they can carry around in their pocket. Surely, when the teenagers want to have sex in the back seat and it's all hot and steamy, they'll stop because there's a Jesus figurine in their pocket, right? Now, I don't want to be legalistic. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say you can't carry around a Jesus figure in your pocket. But let's just just kind of consider (coughs) the the implications of having a little Jesus figurine in your pocket. Number one, offending brothers who view it as a second commandment violation. Now, the other day, somebody wrote me and said, Seth, do you think nativity scenes constitute a violation of the second commandment? And I said no, because I said, I don't think 
It's an image that's meant to be worshipped. It's an image meant to tell a story from the Bible. Nobody's worshipping their nativity scene. We really don't know what baby Jesus looked like. We got we got the wise men in the nativity scene. They're not even there. It's just in a, a pictorial way to call the mind, to call to mind the story of the nativity. But a lot of people view any kind of picture of Jesus, whether it be a figurine, a carved image, or just a painting to be a second commandment violation. Some people think Jim Caviezel in Passion of the Christ is a second commandment violation. Or what's that guy? Jonathan Rumi on The Chosen, which I do not recommend The Chosen and I do not watch The Chosen. Jonathan Rumi's a Roman Catholic. It's produced by Mormons. Do you think the Roman Catholic TV star and the Mormons are out to proclaim an accurate biblical portrayal of Jesus and the gospel? Come on. What fellowship does darkness have with light? Give me a break. But the little figurine could be viewed by some as a second commandment violation, so don't go around giving stuff like that out. All right, that's number one. Number two. Why? Let's just think about why we're not supposed to make graven images. Because what they've done is made a little figure of Jesus. And I want you to think about this. Unlike the nativity scene, it's not supposed to tell a story about Jesus. It's supposed to remind you of Jesus. Now, when Jesus went away, the Bible tells us in, in the Gospel of John... Jesus tells us, Jesus said, I've got to go away, and it's good that I go away, because when I do, the Holy Spirit is going to come, the Helper, the Paraclete. So when Jesus ascended, he sent us the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit to live in us. Now I ask you, what is a more effective reminder to convict you not to sin and live a holy life. God himself tabernacling inside of you metaphysically as a Christian. So God the Holy Spirit. Or a little rubber figurine of Jesus. If I have God the Holy Spirit living inside of me, convicting the world of sin, including me, Leading me on my way. Lead me, O oh Lord. Won't you lead me? Lead me. Guide me along the way. So I got the Holy Spirit leading me. Do I need plastic Jesus? Pocket Jesus? No. So it just seems really kind of silly at once. The Bible says we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Why in the world do we need a Jesus in our pocket to remind us of Jesus being there? It's like telling a kid, you wouldn't sin if Jesus was watching you, would you? If Jesus was standing right next to you, would you be doing this? Every sin you do, you do in front of God. He's omnipresent. Why not teach him John? I think it's John 16. Why not teach him John 16 instead of give him a little rubber Jesus? Now, going back to the Old Testament, going back to the graven images, you're not just to spoke, you're not just prohibited from making an idol of a false god. 
Because that's the commandment, have no other gods before me. So you don't need an idol of Baal or Dagon or Asherah or whoever. Whomever. But you're also not to make an idol of what you think God might look like. Guys, the golden calf, the golden calf was supposed to be Yahweh. That's what, here is the God that led you out of Egypt. And we're going to make a calf idol out of him. Like the, like the Egyptians would. No, we do not make God into cows or birds or dogs like Osiris and Anubis and the Egyptian gods. That's a graven image. That they're, make, they're literally making that while Moses is, is trying to get the Ten Commandments down the, down the mountain. So know their little Jesus in their pocket is not an image they bow down and worship, but how many of these little teenagers do you think are going to start talking to Jesus when they pray? Their little pocket Jesus. Jesus, I'm not going to do this. We don't know what Jesus looked like. Like That's another thing about graven images. We know God because God's spirit, not a cow or a bird or a dog or a fish. But we know Jesus is God, God incarnate. And we know he did incarnate as a man. So if you want to know what God incarnate looked like, he would have looked like the Jewish dude. If you see a Jewish dude now, looked about like that. Bob Dylan's a pretty Jewish-looking guy. Look at Bob Dylan. He probably looked like that. Okay? Maybe a little tanner and rougher from living outside. Because, you know, foxes have hens, as I said in the last show. Foxes, yeah, the Son of Man didn't have a den or a nest. So we really don't want to get anywhere near, if we don't have to, making images of God. God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't even make sense to make an image of God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. But here's your little Jesus, your little figurine of whoever, somehow our culture decided Jesus looked like this. This is what Jesus looked like. Some guy from the, from the Renaissance, with Renaissance haircut. This is the little Jesus in his white robe. Here's Jesus. And what about our witness to the Roman Catholics? What about our witness to the Roman Catholics? So the Roman Catholics have a crucifix in every room of, of the Catholic school, a picture of the Pope if they can, and they have crucifixes all over their Roman Catholic churches. And Jesus is it's not Jesus on it's not a cross. It's Jesus on the cross. Why? Because in the Roman Catholic Mass, Jesus is sacrificed anew every time. Don't, don't put your hand... You don't flash me in your Tesla. I'm making a theological point about the Mass. If you wanted... <coughs> so I had to use the middle lane to get around this guy, and then I'm cutting over, and he speeds up. I'm like, no. No, no. Don't flash me and throw your hands up. I'm talking about the Mass. <coughs> Alright, so going back to the Mass. Catholic people are superstitious idolaters. They have statues of Mary and they pray to Mary. They're all in their churches. They're at their houses. They got Jesus is still on the cross. They go in there, they pray in front of those statues. And their mass re-crucifies Christ, even though the Apostle Peter said Christ was sacrificed once for all. 
right? Think about the Chinese people manufacturing that. I assume these little figurines are made in China. They, I guess they may make them by the thousands in China. A little machine. So imagine the Chinaman over there living in pagan China. And that a little car comes through his line. Why are we making these cars? Americans like cars. They like to give their kids little Porsches. Okay. We're going to make 40,000 of these and we'll send them over on a boat. And then in the toy and knick-knack and novelty factory, they, they make a Wolverine. The little X-Men. What's this guy with claws? He's, a, he's one of their heroes. He fights bad guys and he can sniff like a dog and he's got claws. And here's one of Superman. He can fly. All right. What are these little dog figurines? Americans love dogs. I know me and you are eating them when we can find them. But Americans put little sweaters on them and let them live in the house. They love dogs. And the little Jesus figurine comes through. What's this? That's their God. And they like to have little idols of their God. Their little figurines of their God. The teenagers like to carry their God around in their pocket. What kind of witness is that to the ladies at the nail salon? Cartersville has a nail salon. It's called 316 Nails. The owners are Asian, of course, but they're Christians. And there's no idol in that nail salon. But if you go to any of the other nail salons in town, almost without fail, there's an idol at the front of the door. We keep our idol in the front of the nail salon. You keep yours in your pocket. So let's review. Even though I'm not going to go to say go as far as to say it's a second commandment violation, a lot of people would and we don't want to offend those brothers and sisters. Those are the people who take themselves seriously. Number 2, God's holy. There's a reason for that second commandment. We don't want to be making images of who we think God is or what he looks like. So I would advise making little plastic Jesuses and carry them around in your pocket because you want to revere God as holy, not as somebody you turn into a toy to keep in your pocket. Wolverine's a toy I keep in my pocket. Jesus is not a toy I'm going to put in my pocket to carry around with me. I'm carrying your love with me. West Virginia down to Tennessee. All right. Is that who's that? George Strait? I don't even know. If you can carry somebody's love, if George Strait can carry somebody's love with him from West Virginia to Tennessee, can't you carry the Holy Spirit's love with you wherever you go? And that gets back to the Bible. This is completely unnecessary because the Holy Spirit lives in us. It trivializes Jesus to the unbelieving people around us when we carry Jesus around in our pocket like little superstitious idol people. Who are the least mature Christians around us? The youngest ones. I've talked about this before. They haven't been saved as long. Of course they're the least mature. So some idiot youth pastor who thinks, well, I'm going to be fun gets these and gives them to every Christian kid at town at the merge weekend. <coughs> I think you got to be 6th grade to do merge weekend. 
we were at church Sunday, my daughter came up to me and she said, next year I want to go to Merge Weekend. I said, oh really? I pull my phone out of my pocket. I get on Facebook. The, the little music man who was the, the musical artist to sit there and jam in the middle of the purple lights this year. I think the lights were blue this year. Last year they were purple. Got to keep the, got to keep a change. Got to keep a variety. His dad's a local pastor in town. His dad has the same amount of discernment as this, this green road sign I'm about to pass. Go outside of your house and find a rock in your landscaping area. That's the amount of discernment that this pastor has, okay? Because I've paid attention to his sermons. They, they've done Stephen Furtick studies at his church. He has zero discernment, zero. Nice guy, zero discernment. And I mean nice guy like Alan, oh, what's up, what's Alec Baldwin in Glengarry, nice Ross. Nice guy, who cares? Go home and play with your kids. I don't care that you're, an, I do care that you're a nice guy, but I, it doesn't matter that you're a nice guy, pastor so-and-so, you have no discernment, go get a real job. But I'm friends with him on Facebook, and his son was the musical artist, and he had posted on Facebook, oh, here's Merge Weekend this year. And I turn it on, it's a crowd of kids in the purple-blue light jumping up and down. Might as well be a, a rave or a Stone Temple Pilots concert. All right, I'd rather go to a Stone Temple Pilots concert. I am, I am, I am, I'm sick of this church music that's so profane. I wish they'd stop and sing it and we could go sing Stone Temple Pilots instead. Da, da, da. That's, by the way, that's tripping on a hole in a paper heart from Stone Temple Pilots. That's the tune. Every time I see this music, I want to tear it all to pieces. That's not Stone Temple Pilots. It's Velvet Revolver, which is Scott Weiland also. And he's got Slash from Guns N' Roses in that band, all right? Turn off the lights and have a, kids, a bunch of kids jump up and down to Hillsong, Elevation, Bethel, Passion, etc., and call it worship. Alright, so that was happening in the dark crowded room. I pulled out my phone and showed my daughter. I said, this is Merge. Is this what you want to go to? She looked at it and said, I didn't say I wanted to go. I just said I could. Here's what happened. I don't care. Somebody's going to say, well, Seth, five people got saved. Good for them. That's because they shared the gospel. I'm glad people are making professions of faith at these youth events, okay? <laughs> these youth events will, will drive professions and baptisms. How many are legit? I don't know. That's for God to say. But your church, probably as well as mine, is full of adults getting rebaptized when they're, well, I made a profession when I was young. I don't know what to talk about. I did it, at a, I did it emotionally, and everybody else was doing it, and they had, they had Finney emoted me at a youth conference, and they were giving Jesus figurines, and everybody was doing it, and so did I. And then I lived my life according to Jesus, but now i got to get right with Jesus. How many times have you heard that? How many times? People, oh, it's a, it's a church conference. All the kids are getting together. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send in my $50 and send my kid. Why? So they can jump around in a dark room with blue LED lights, and then we condition these kids to think this is what worship is. That's why that garbage has already shown up at every church in town on Sunday morning. Well, not every church in town, but a bunch of them. 
that's where that comes from. A, a generation of people like me, when they were 15, that's what worship is. And now this is what they do on Sunday morning. That's what the adults do, and it's garbage. And then a bunch of people who think Jesus is a figurine in your pocket. I, I'm, I, I had to pause and not say, I'm struggling not to start saying a bunch of bad things about these people. I don't blame kids when they go to church and they're told this is what worship is and somebody gives them a plastic Jesus. But the last thing being taught to these kids is a sense of all holiness and reverence. What jump up and down purple music and pocket Jesuses teach is party Jesus, Pentecostal Jesus. You Pharisee, Seth, where in the Bible does it say you? David danced in the street, blah, 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 blah. You tell me whether the professed evangelicals in our country have a healthy idea of holiness, worship, awe, and reverence or not. You tell me. These youth people like lock-ins. Oh, if I could get every youth pastor in town and lock them in and never let them out, I would. Put them in a jail where they can't do this crap. I don't know who got the plastic Jesus. But some church had $200 for plastic Jesus. And they're paying that person to shepherd people. It's outrageous. And I'm at... I would like a large Pepsi. Okay, anything else for you today? That's it. Okay, you All right. I'm at Panera getting my large Pepsi. I've said my piece. Keep your kids away from idiot youth ministers, idiot youth ministers, who don't give deep Bible consideration and lead kids into just crowds, crowds, crowds. It makes me mad because it's kids. Don't you get mad when people lead kids astray? It makes me sad because it's kids. Why do you, th Seth, you're so critical, Bob. Why do you think I have Rock Cross Point and Rock, 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 Rock Bridge? I'm sick, I'm sick of seeing entire towns of my neighbors like sheep without a shepherd. How do you think that makes me feel? How should it make you feel sad? Are you not moved with compassion for sheep without a shepherd? Here, Here's some more life coaching. Here's some more purple lights. And here's a plastic Jesus to carry around in your pocket when you need to remember to do the right thing. And here's some Phineas invitation to, to create more false converts than we already have. Twice the sons of hell. I'm sick of it. And it tears me up. Doesn't it tear you up? Why do you just tolerate it? Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. If anybody finds one, I want the pocket Jesus. If anybody wants, I want, I want one to, as a display. I'm going to put it next to my holy oil from the fake guy. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. As always, God bless. And as always, remember, Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being saved. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. 
please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.